The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is your newscast for, uh, what is it, January uh, 25th. This is episode 195. Um, Alex, we are we actually have some beautiful weather this weekend. I know it's been sunny. I mean, it hasn't been um, you know hot by any means, but it, it sure has been nice with the clear skies and uh, I've spent some time outside. How about you? Yeah, I got to got outside. Today, you know, it's Sunday when we're recording. Uh, yesterday I was outside, uh, went, went for a couple of walks and um, you know, if you're sitting in the shade, it was it was cold, but it was it was not not too bad if it was out in the sun. And I was actually looking at the forecast for this week. Um, Thursday, it's supposed to be 56. So wow. for the first time since I don't know what it's been like October, I'm planning to go downtown uh, to the office and uh, go have lunch outside on a patio downtown, and uh, you know maybe life will feel a little bit more normal. Yeah, um, I as you know, I went into the office um, <clears throat> this past week. For a little bit. Um, also, the first time I'd been in since October, which was a little bit weird. I did not have lunch on a patio, um, but uh, but nonetheless, went into the office. Uh, well, I, I really hope that you know we're turning a corner here. Vaccines are getting out. I, I was actually at uh, last night at my in-laws house and surrounded by three adults who have all had their vaccines. My wife got her second vaccine, uh, her second shot yes, yesterday, two days ago, uh, uh, Friday, and my um, my in-laws who were both o- over the. 75 they, they both got had their first shot i was feeling i feel like i was in the minority and i, and I can't wait till we're all there and uh, life can get back to a little bit more normal yeah i agree looking forward to it all right well let's jump over to our housekeeping you know we do have a slack channel i feel like slack has been uh, once again very vibrant uh, i've been having a hard time keeping up with it uh we are, we're at about 1750 1754 um, participants right now in the, in the channel so if you want to come uh, get to know a lot of great folks working in security here in the denver area this would be a good opportunity for you to, to join in yeah it, it is pretty amazing how vibrant it is um I, you know i belong to several slack workspaces and uh, you know, periodically through the day, I'll just sort of scan through all of them and see what's going on. And um, almost always uh, the the Colorado Security Slack has a whole bunch of messages that were new since the last time I was there versus many of the other ones where it's, you know, onesie, twosie, things like that. So yeah. definitely lots going on in there. Um, if, you, if you do want to join, the, the link to join is on our website, colorado-security.com. There's a Slack button on the, on the front page. Also on our website, uh, you can sign up for our mailing list. You will get one email every week with the show notes. Uh, we send that out uh, sometime after the podcast gets released. Uh, and if you go to the bottom of the colorado-security.com website, there's a form there for you to fill it out. Uh, we'd also love it if you would rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. That helps us find new people and gives us good feedback on how we can get better. Also, um, we'd love it if you told somebody about how great Colorado Equal Security is, get them to come and join the community. Uh, And if you want to go even beyond that, we do have a Patreon campaign where you can uh, support us financially, help with the costs of doing the podcast and, you know, all the other stuff we do with Colorado Equal Security. Uh, And we do just a big thank you to the current patrons. Uh, Yes. You you guys, you guys definitely keep us going. Uh, Thank you to those who have been doing it for for years. And we we have a couple of folks who've just joined in the last month or so. Um, Thanks to all of you. Uh, We really do appreciate what you guys are doing. Yeah, it's great. All right, let's jump into the news. Uh, This is a follow-up from a story we discussed. I feel like it was a a year, maybe two years ago around Carvana bringing the, uh, uh, what do they call it? The, the, um, 
car vending machine, right? Uh, and they're, they're still looking to, they're still have made a request to build that eight story car vending machine at about 25 in Evans. Yeah, um, it, it sounds like the uh, the initial zoning request was positive. You know, so the the committee that does this stuff uh, thought it was a good idea, and it's going to the the full Denver City Council to decide whether or not they want to do it. So, you know, I had uh, I had not spent a lot of time thinking about this, to be honest with you. But uh, as I was talking to my father in law last night about about this, and we were, we were like, yeah, it's kind of a weird thing to do. It all of a sudden occurred to me that. Now, having an eight-story building in an area where there are no eight-story buildings, right? Like, I think it's it's mostly single or two-story buildings in that area. Uh, it's it's kind of like having the giant inflatable ape on top of your building all the time, <laughs> right? Like, like everyone is always going to see that thing from you know half a mile away, a mile away, uh, and it's it's probably just like the best marketing they could get for this is the car dealership. Come on over here and take a look. Yeah, you know, one of the concerns that was expressed in the article, I believe, by a, a council person, was, okay, what happens if uh, if their business is uh, is not successful and you know they vacate that building, right? Now you have an eight story car vending machine, and who else is going to use an eight story uh, car vending machine, right? You know, if it's a yeah. normal kind of building, you could repurpose it to something else, but uh, you know, with that, not nearly as as flexible. I think that sounds like a, a really fun. Uh, either meme competition or just a, a write-in competition for what would we repurpose the car vending machine for uh, if they left? I think you should turn it into offices. Everyone, you know, gets a little little space up there. People can watch you in your office as they drive by on I-25. And, and when it's time for you to leave at the end of the day, your boss just, puts a token in and yep, you get pushes vended. the button for you to get out. Exactly. Good stuff. All right. Uh, next article. Uh, our ongoing favorite topic of unemployment fraud. There was an article this week uh, talking about the new system that Colorado has put in place to uh, to help with that. Um, I mean, that's part of the reason it's there. And uh, two thirds of the requests that they used in the in the test first test did not get verified, leading us to think that maybe two thirds were fraud. Yeah. So this is a this is a follow up from the Colorado Sun, written by our favorite over there, Tamara Chung. Um, she basically, they, they did a small pilot with a, a identity verification system called systemid.me. Um, and, and really the idea here, here is if you want this money, you're going to have to do this verification. It was a small pilot, just 500 people, but they, they mentioned that, um, there, they were as of Friday. So as two days ago, they were going to be sending out invitations to to 2000 more people and then, and then, uh, you know, quickly expand the program to be everyone who wants to get benefits for unemployment. I, I think this is great. Um, I think that the, the fact that it's been so easy and basically built on trust in the past has, has put us in the situation where, you know, I know I had a, a fraudulent unemployment claim against me and I know you did as well. Yep. Um, and, and I have, I know people who, who are receiving, what, what do you call those 10, that they're receiving 1099s, 1099Gs, yeah. right. From, from the state of Colorado saying that they, that they got that income last year, even though they didn't, even though they reported it as fraudulent. So uh, we've got to get in front of this and I'm excited the state's taking these steps. Yeah, um, a, a couple of things, you know, Rob, obviously you work in the identity management space and you know, you know that identity proofing, that sort of the first step proving you are who you are um, is an important process before you can get to the, the point of authentication and other things like that. And you know, in most online systems that really never happens, right? Um, you know, maybe it happens in some weird process, but the the consumer doesn't actually go through that proofing process. So having ID.me do that proofing process, I think is um, is something that probably should have happened a long time ago anyway. 
Um, so great to see that they're doing that. The other piece that they mentioned in here around those 1099s um, is that there is now a form that you can fill out if you do get uh, one of those fraudulent 1099s. Originally, when the 1099 started to go out, there wasn't really much you could do about it. And it, it's, of course, is uh, absolutely impossible to get through to uh, the Department of Labor on the phone. Um, they have a call center, but I think that they got way over uh, subscribed with calls. So they said they had like 68,000 calls in the first, whatever it was, few days or week. Right. So you can fill out a form now saying that you received a fraudulent 1099 and then theoretically they will uh, uh, remove that. So. All right. Next story. It's it's uh, one of the similar ones we had about the Colorado Economic Development Commission, um, who generally what they, we get to see the fact that they have approved incentives for companies to come. These are always the ones that don't say the names of the companies. Um, this one is, you know, the first part of the story is just about the fact that they've approved some commissions for a, an IT consulting firm from out East who wants to expand to the West and they're gonna hire 56 employees here um, if they accept the incentives. But I thought the more interesting part was uh, that they also approved some some expense uh, to to try and invest in keeping the Space Force headquarters here in Colorado. Yeah, and we talked about that last week. Um, you know, temporary Space Command was here. And then, of course, uh, the Trump administration in their last few weeks decided that they were going to uh, award the permanent headquarters to Huntsville, Alabama, uh, which, of course, all the people in Colorado said was a bad idea. So it looks like we're going to be putting another $30,000 towards, uh, I guess we'll call it marketing or efforts to uh, try and convince the, uh, the new administration that that was a bad idea and it should come back to Colorado. Yeah, the, so, the, sugge the suggestion that this was a political decision is you know, basically rampant among the Colorado folks. Now, who, who knows if it's true, but right. um, we'll, we'll see if it makes a difference and if, uh, if President Biden's administration uh, makes a different decision. Yep. All right. Uh, next article. Uh, I think we reported this previously, but uh, Techstars has a new CEO. And the this article is an interview with her talking about what's next for Techstars up in Boulder. So um, I am going to be, ooh, this is going to be rough. Um, Mael Gavet, Gavet, uh, looks a little, little Frenchy in that name, uh, is the, the new CEO. And uh, she's got a, a very interesting background and experience. Uh, she's been in executive roles in Boston Consulting Group, um, a, a Russian e-commerce site, and as well as the real estate platform Compass. And so now she has come to be uh, to CEO at, at Techstars and, and lead the venture funds there. Yeah, really cool stuff. You know, the the previous CEO stepped down, um, and, and he was one of the one of the founders, I believe as well. And, and this is an opportunity for, you know, bringing some fresh blood and, and it looks like, you know, we're going to, we're going to have someone with a, a different set of experiences and I'm excited to see where she takes things. Yeah, definitely. I think on a related note, uh, Techstars Boulder, uh, you know, the organization that she is now hoping to run is uh, has revealed their 11 startups that are in their latest class. So if you remember last year, they, they kind of had to quickly pivot to virtual um, as they looked to get their class and bring their class through the process. This year, they just did everything fully virtual to avoid having uh, the, uh, the challenge there. Um, and uh, and, and the, this 11 companies actually had one familiar that we talked about last week. Uh, if you remember, I think it's, is it Heka we, we decided? Yes, yeah. The one I called out of a, of a longer list that was like startups to watch in Colorado. Uh, they are the, they're the um, Slack-based compliance and security training platform that, um, 
that, uh, that I, I called out as something that looked really interesting and, and they're going to be part of Techstars. So I'm sure that they're going to get some great uh, support and leadership as they look to build out that organization. Yeah, there were some uh, some other interesting ones on this as well. I think there was uh, uh, which one? There was another one on here that was um, a little bit related to uh, security, I believe. Um, but there was also a couple other uh, teaching ones, and uh, one called Defiance, which was uh, helping with uh, student debt, which is uh, always very interesting, given that we have a one point six trillion dollar student debt. Uh, crisis here in this country. Uh, oh, it was a uh, code inspector. There's another sure. uh, startup that's that's going to be doing uh, AppSec and automated code review. So well, it, the way well. I read it is, it looks like they're they're there to fix technical debt um, with with automated code review platforms. And, and I think you know the only way you're going to get a lot of progress on technical debt is. Um, is automated because people hate working on it. So I think that's it's a great right. idea. And if they can, if they can make that easier and uh, and less manual, you're going to make a lot of progress. For sure. All right. Uh, next, we have some news out of the National Cybersecurity Center down in the Springs. Uh, they ha have partnered with Tusk Philanthropies to announce a, a new project, really kind of a grant project around election resiliency, a 2021 pilot project. Yeah, and not a lot of details here, um, th th as this is just the announcement. But uh, you know, they have some grant money so that they could do pilots around electronic voting, um, and they're going to be working with different jurisdictions. I think, you know, I assume they can submit grant applications to get some money uh, to look at ways to do electronic voting and the you know the security around uh, those efforts. So they're so, going to help make, I think they're going to make help make the connection between the jurisdiction and the folks who, who are specialists. And they're also going to have some money to make that work. So kind of a double, uh, double benefit for the companies. Yeah. And I would imagine some, uh, yeah, by experts, I would imagine uh, security experts as well as companies who can do the electronic uh, voting so that they, you know, can work with the pilot as well. You know, obviously there are some concerns that exist around electronic voting and things that people have to solve and including, uh, integrity of the ballots, uh, privacy for voters, as well as ballot secrecy and, and, of course, accuracy. So hopefully with these pilots, they can uh, get some good results and maybe sometime we will have an electronic voting option. Maybe we will. <laughs> maybe we won't, but maybe we will. Uh, next, we have an article from the Colorado Sun. This is an opinion piece, actually. Um, we don't always do opinion pieces on here, but this one was very interesting because it is by Patrick Walsh who is uh, the CEO of Ironcore Iron Core Labs, a, a local startup here who uh, does sort of encryption technologies and uh, you know, data security. And you know, he's talking about uh, the recent SolarWinds attack, although uh, he is nice enough not to say SolarWinds anywhere in here. Um, and you know, his opinion basically on what it is that we should do moving forward to, uh, you know, to get better and not have these things happen again. Yeah, you know, he calls out some some of the you know systemic ch challenges we have with security and the fact that, you know, anytime you're trying to to keep up with vulnerabilities, you're, you're there's always a gap and companies are not that great at it and incentives are not well aligned, and you know he's suggesting you, you really have to get into the application and even more so get into the data, to to fix this problem. I don't think there's anything here that would surprise any you know professional security person. However, I think that the, the importance here is he's got a pretty big platform. You know, he's he's on the Colorado Suns you know main page, and 
Um, this is a this is something that's going to get larger than just the security or IT audience, uh, which is exactly what I think we need to do in order to really make some progress. So, uh, you know, like I said, not a lot of surprises in here. Uh, Patrick is someone we've had on our show in the past. It's been a few years, but um, it's really good to see him still pushing the, the ball up the hill and hopefully making some good progress. Yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, next, we have an article from uh, from Red Canary. This is a follow-up blog on their uh, Keith McCammon. He's the, the uh, chief security officer over there. Um, he, his series, he's writing about the modern security operations center and, and how that looks. And, and this is just phase number two as you look at what those different roles are across the, uh, the SOC. Yeah, and in this uh, this piece of the blog series, he is talking about enablement, uh, which you know is something uh, as we go through the different topics is you know something that I see that uh, often is is not really thought about in terms of the the SOC itself, but it, it's a lot of things obviously that you can use to enable the SOC, uh, things like security architecture, security engineering, data management, and training. Um, you know, many times those things are just sort of given and, you know, the SOC is the place where they just, you know, collect alerts and, and tell people about them. But, you know, really, if you want your SOC to be the most effective, you have to be doing other parts of your uh, security as well, uh, like security architecture and engineering. Yeah. You know, I, when I think of enablement, you know, mostly I think of training. Um, maybe I also think about tools. I like the way that he's, he's really broken enablement into, into more than just those things. Uh, it, it's not just, hey, it, we're gonna get you the training you need to be effective. We're also gonna think about making you effective as we architect the, the, the way our security program works. And as we engineer it, as we tune things, these are all focused on making you effective as a security operations center uh, member. Data management, another interesting element I hadn't thought of as a part of enablement. Uh, anyway, I'd, I thought it's interesting. It's probably worth reading, just reading through this if you're involved with SOCs and, and or, uh, security operations centers, not Sarbanes-Oxley. If you're interested in, uh, in how to make those more effective and, and how you can rethink the way you approach it, uh, it's, a, it's a good blog. Um, I No wool, though. Wool socks that are a little bit itchy. hey um, final article this week, uh, we have a, a post from Logarithm. This is actually a, an interview where uh, Mark Logan, their CEO, was interviewed on TechStrong TV. And so he spends about uh, 20, 30 minutes uh, talking about Logarithm, about their acquisition of uh, MISNET and other things that's going on with them. Um, I, I don't know that we need to recap the entire uh, video, but you know, he talks a little bit about you know, why it is that they acquired them, um, a little bit about Logarithm in general, um, you know, where they're going, the, uh, the ever amazing uh, buzzwords like XDR and other things like that. Yeah, I thought it was worth including here in the notes simply because, you know, we talked about the MISNET acquisition last week and, and maybe, you know, we made some vague comments, but it's nice to hear Mark Logan, you know, the CEO himself talk about why they made that investment. And, and there's also an interesting conversation about what it's like to do an acquisition in the middle of COVID. So, you know, maybe worth uh, taking a listen. Yeah, good stuff. All right, let's jump over to the Slack message of the week. Uh, once again, we had to thank Andre Gaeta. Andre has been the, uh, the uh, sponsor of this uh, uh, section of the show for a couple of years, three years. Uh, Andre, thanks for doing that. And each week we pick one person who's got a great comment, an interesting comment in the Slack community to award them. And they get to pick an item out of the Colorado Equal Security store and have their favorite piece of swag. Yeah. And uh, this week's winner is Sagar. Congratulations, Sagar. Uh, he 
posted um, a couple of things from uh, from Snort. First was the about the release of Snort version three, which is something that has been a long time in coming. I know some people have been eagerly awaiting this. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. It sparked a nice discussion in there. And if you are someone that does network security and, and uh, wants to get the new version of Snort, it is now out there. All right, good stuff. Uh, let's jump over to upcoming events. Uh, this week, we have several events. First, it starts with ASIS, the physical security organization in town. They're doing a young professional networking happy hour with Taylor Passanello. Congratulations, Rob. I think that's the first time this year you haven't said ISIS. Thank you. Um, ISC Squared Pikes Peak is doing their January chapter meeting on the 27th. Uh, Denver ISIS is doing, sorry, <laughs> that, that was on purpose. Denver ISSA is doing uh, a, a, a event on the 27th. It's Your Presence Matters, how to show up at your best on video. Uh, this is obviously not super security focused, but for us security people who think that wearing a t-shirt with bedhead is the way to get on a Zoom call. And then on the 28th, ISC Squared Denver is doing their uh, chapter annual meeting. Yeah, that, that actually just got announced. This is their first meeting in quite a while. It's kind of that follow-up to the blog we talked about last week. Uh, good to see that they're they're getting back together and, and meeting up. Yeah, and, and then we don't have anything early in February. So uh, that's all the events that we have. All right, let's jump over to jobs. Uh, there are a few ping jobs. I actually have one that came off the list and one that went onto the list this week. Um, so I the, the privacy program position uh, has been filled, but I am now looking to hire a security senior program manager. So this is the person who works directly for me. Um, it, you know, meet, I've been meeting daily with my current person in this role to um, uh, to help make sure that programs are working effectively across the organization. You know, think of this kind of as a chief staff type of a role. Um, and this person would have a business analyst reporting to them. Speaking of that, there's a business analyst role um, that's open right now at paying, uh, working to help with the, manage the projects across our function. Uh, and then the last one we're looking to hire is a product security engineer. This is someone who has some development background um, and, a, and a passion for security. And reach out to me about any of these if you want to on Slack. I'm happy to talk to you about it. Take a look at our website for the postings. I think that the program manager might not be posted yet, but it'll be up uh, in the next day or so. Good stuff. Absolute Software is looking for a chief information security officer. Tolmar is looking to hire a, a senior manager or director of information security. And this one was, oh, where it was, I know it was far away. This one's up. Like uh, Loveland maybe or? Look at, oh, it's Windsor. This one's in Windsor. Windsor. Um, so another one that's maybe not super close to Denver. So if you're someone who's uh, who's in one of those areas, this looks like a good fit for you. Uh, Checker is looking for a senior technology compliance program manager. Kind of cool. Checker has been one of those hot growing tech companies in town. Nice to see a security position over there. Uh, there was a bunch of uh, positions at FireEye that got posted in Slack this week. I just picked one of them. Uh, Phil Keeley had shared. Uh, FireEye is looking to hire a principal incident response consultant. And that one is supposed to be in Colorado. Cool. Red Canary is looking for a product security engineer for the web. Uh, yeah, they had also posted a few items in Slack. There, there was this one. There was also one for um, for their, their product. Um, so there's web and there was also product or, or platform or something like that. And then they were also looking to hire a director of IT. So a lot of interesting positions at Red Canary. Uh, CIA, CVS Health is looking to hire a software security uh, in, analyst here in Denver. Another one that surprised me that that was in Colorado. And then Entirety is looking for a security operations analyst for and, the SOC. Yeah, you know, Entirety, formerly known as hosting.com. If you drive down 25, you see them in the old Gates building. So uh, you, you might know them even if you don't recognize the name. 
good stuff. All right. That is it for the news. We do have an interview this week. Uh, this week, I had uh, interviewed with Manish uh, Kapoor. Uh, if you guys remember, Manish was is the founder and CEO of uh, Truenel, and and he has a great background. I honestly didn't know a ton about his background before this interview, and it was, it was interesting to learn about his experience at at Cisco, and, and really, he's had a, a pretty successful career. Good stuff. I look forward to hearing it. All right. Well, Alex, that's it. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Rob. Hello, this is Ian Buxton, Senior Director of Information Risk and Security at Bell Resorts. This is Colorado Equals Security. For Colorado security professionals, by Colorado security professionals. All right, welcome to Colorado Equals Security. Uh, today I am doing a, uh, uh, a new interview, and, and I have the opportunity to interview the founder and CEO of Truno, uh, Manish Kapoor, uh, and you, know, you, you and I have known each other. Man, I feel like it's been several years now since you you introduced yourself to me at RMISC. Uh, I don't know if it was 2018, maybe. So it's- you know, it it feels like, <coughs> especially with the whole COVID thing, it, uh, uh, it, it it was certainly, I think, our, uh, you know, the Colorado Risk Conference, and I think it was yeah. 2018. Wow. Uh, it's, it, time goes by so fast. Um, you know, and Manish, we're, we're going to talk about um, about Trudeau and all the stuff you're doing there. But, you know, I, I love to start off by getting to know you, you personally, individually. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is I've never heard someone say before that they are passionate about paddleboarding. So I, I want you <laughs> to tell me, how does one become passionate about paddleboarding? So I'll tell you, uh, you know, luckily I live uh, uh, very close to Aurora Reservoir. And uh, I actually started off, uh, you know, I go bike and run around it. And uh, so all the time I would see these people on some kind of, uh, uh, you know, a sailboat or, a, you know, it's, it's a windsurfing board and things like that. And I was yeah. like, that is the coolest thing to do, you know, it just because it gets windy. Uh, so I was like, I'm going to do that. So I went to get a windsurfing lesson and I went to a lake which was pretty calm, no wind. And I got the windsurfing lesson. I was like, I think I got it. So I bought a brand new windsurf, got to Aurora Reservoir and put it there. And man, in two minutes, I realized that surfing lesson on no, no wind lake and calm lake meant nothing. I was <laughs> falling every two minutes. Yeah. And then I realized that, hey, I have a bad back. Uh, so probably not the best thing to keep doing windsurfing. What can I do? I looked around and I was like, what are these people doing? They don't have a windsurf, but they're standing on a board. And I, you know, talked to some people and they're like, this is paddle boating. So I just took my uh, windsurf off a windsurf board and it's, they're actually not designed for paddle boating. So it's actually pretty slippery. So I learned how to do paddle boating on a windsurf board. And if you can do that, you can do pretty good on a paddle board. So that was the, that was a start. And I tell you, it is, uh, I truly am so passionate about it. When I am on the water there, because Aurora Reservoir doesn't have any motor boats allowed. So all I can hear is birds chirping and the water, you know, the paddle boat going through the water. That's what, uh, you know, makes my day. So, you know, right now we're recording this in the middle of January. I, is the Aurora Reservoir iced over and unavailable for stand-up paddle boarding these days? That is true. I actually uh, go running with my dog all, almost every day. And I was taking some pictures there, actually. You can actually do fishing there out. So you can do, uh, uh, you know, winter fishing, the ice fishing there now. So not the best time to do paddleboarding right now. Yeah. So I've, I've been paddleboarding like two or three times. 
and I, and I feel like, you know, because, because I've done it a few times, it's just been like whichever board was available at the location I was. Yeah. And I feel like there must be like a weight, uh, a, a weight capacity per board. And there's gotta be boards that would hold me better than the ones I'm on. But generally, like I look at my, my wife standing on a board next to me and hers is like, you know, the top of it's a good inch, two inches above the water. And mine's like, like the water is coming on every side. You know, I'm, I'm level, but like just barely in, above the water. And, and I feel like, I feel like that's not probably setting me up for success. Yeah, you probably do want, uh, you know, the right board, uh, stable and, uh, you know, with your height and everything. So you want to make sure there is enough uh, uh, in, you know, it, they go by, you know, how thick it is, six inches, eight inches, and so forth. Uh, so having the right board and having the right size paddle uh, does make a big difference when you're on a, a little bit choppy water, especially. Yeah, awesome. Uh, so you, you did mention running there. And another thing you mentioned you did is you, you, you actually ran in the Boston Marathon in the past. Is that, is that true? Uh, that is absolutely true. I would say uh, been there, done that. Uh, probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And, uh, uh, you know, in, as you know, in Boston Marathon, you actually have to qualify uh, a certain time to officially yeah. run. And I was like, heck with it. I don't want to go run another marathon somewhere else. And then, <laughs> I, I'm just going to run it at the back of the pack. And they allow you. They actually have official yeah. start for people who are uh, qualified. And then, and, you know, there are you know, thousands and thousands of people. And at the very end are all the people who just want to run it. And that's what I did. I, I tell you, even though I, because I used to live in Boston at that time, even though I trained on the actual, uh, you know, course, a marathon course for almost four months, the yeah. tricky part was when you train, you only run up to 20 miles and then you leave the last six miles for the last day because uh, that's where it gets mental to yeah. really finish it. As well as I train in the very cold winter because the marathon there is in March. And so my body was used to running up to 20 miles at that time in winter. But the day of the marathon was 75 degrees. And I, I tell you, there's a place called uh, Heartbreak Hill in Boston. And it's called Heartbreak Hill for a reason. I, I at 20 miles with that heat, my body just uh, had some trouble, I would say. Yeah. Uh, going uphill, I, I started to feeling really bad, went to the tent. And they saw me like how I was feeling. They're like, no, 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 we're not going to let you in. Uh, we're not going to let you out until we hold you here for 30 minutes and monitor you, give you and salt. So in the middle of the marathon, I spent 30 minutes in the tent, but I kept going. That's uh, great. Uh, and what a huge accomplishment. Well done. Yeah. So I was almost crying by the end. I finished, but I finished. So is your bad back related to running a marathon? Is there, it doesn't feel like my, my back hurts when I run. I wonder, does it, does it get you too? It was, so the tricky part is I ran the marathon, had no extra shoes. Then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do this yoga thing to recover from marathon. That's what all the famous, you know, marathoners do. They do yoga and other things to recover. I'm going to do that too. And, uh, you know, I didn't follow any instructors. I was like, I'm just going to watch a video and do the yoga. And I did the yoga and just... Uh, uh, pulled uh, probably too much uh, in one direction. Uh, so <laughs> since then, uh, it caused a herniated disc, to be honest with you. Oh. So I'm, I'm uh, always taking care of the back from there on. Well, I, I'm sorry that the back, I mean, my back is a, is a pain in the butt too. And I think, I think that's part of getting old too. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I love to hear the stories. Let's, let's kind of go back even further. Tell me where you're originally from. So I am born and raised in India. Uh, a state called Punjab. It's mm -hmm. in the 
northern part of India, it's on the border with Pakistan. So half of Punjab, if you don't know, if you know the history of India, you know, when the British uh, divided India, it was divided into Pakistan and India, and then Punjab was divided exactly in the middle. So oh. half of Punjab is in Pakistan and half of Punjab is in India. Uh, I'm on from the Indian side of Punjab. Awesome. And, and how, how long were you there? And when, did, when did you come to the States? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Punjab and uh, we, my maternal family, so my mom's grandmother, my mom's mom and my maternal uncle, they've been in the United States, you know, 50 plus years. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, my grandmother, maternal grandmother sponsored us and mm -hmm. we went through the interview process to embassy and so forth. So in 94, uh, we moved to Colorado because my, at that time, my, my, my grandmother and my uncle were here. Uh, and I was 17, 17 years old when I moved. And you're moving with your, with your parents then? That's right. We yeah. moved all together. And uh, I actually went to Smoky Hill High School in Aurora for a year and a half when wow. I moved. All right. I mean, yeah, because you came right at the very end of high school then at 17 years old. Exactly. So you've seen a lot of change. I mean, the, the Aurora area in the last 25 years has, has certainly uh, been developed an, an awful lot. Yeah, I tell you, when I went to Smoky Hill, I, I don't know how much you know about Aurora and Smoky Hill Road and so forth. It used to be the dead end. Mm. Uh, and now it feels like that's where the city starts. It's, it's so further you can go and it's so well populated. Yeah. It used to be the complete dead end, nothing after that. And all of that has, you know, completely changed in the last 20 plus years. So, you know, just looking at your, at your LinkedIn, uh, it looks like after, after high school, did you go to CU directly or was that... Was there a, a something in between? No, so right from uh, Smoky Hill, I went to uh, CU Boulder, uh, just a great university. And uh, so I got an electrical engineering degree. Uh, and uh, so I finished that in December, 99. Mm -hmm. And then right after that, I joined uh, Motorola Semiconductors. They actually have a year long sales training program in Austin, Texas. Yeah. Uh, so I went from Ben Boulder to Austin and from there to Boston as a salesperson, technical salesperson for them selling microprocessors and so forth. So I feel like I am so lucky, probably spent uh, you know, time in some of the best cities in America from Boulder to Austin to Boston and then back uh, to Denver again. So, so basically you, you got the job right out of school to go to, to Austin and did that. And, and then is it also that same job that took you to, to Boston? Uh, or yeah, a new opportunity exactly within right. Motorola, basically? Exactly. You, they train you for one year. Uh, it was awesome, to be honest with you. We were on a, you know, in quotes, one year sales training program with a company car and first time having some money in the pocket. It was fun. A lot of, it was the best. It was a real time MBA, to be honest with you. I've, I've gone to business school afterwards. I learned more in that job in one year training uh, than I did in the business school because we were in some meetings, we were in the sitting in the back, just shut, mouth shut and just listening. But we were in meetings uh, that, and that was the whole goal of the training program, that some decisions were made, the next day the stock price went up or down. Uh, so they really exposed us to significant things within the company, uh, you know, as salespeople before we went out uh, to the field. Uh, yeah. And that was amazing. Oh, what a great opportunity that was. Um, so, so you, you worked for Motorola there in Boston for five years, and, and then uh, what, what led you to, to leave Boston? It looks like you, you moved back to Denver at that point. Maybe tell me what's next. Yeah, so then I basically was doing part-time uh, business school in the evenings, 
and having a you know a very strenuous sales technical sales job and business school was really tough so i did that for a couple of years and then i decided i i, I couldn't do that anymore 60 hours per week you know you know just so much reading and writing in business school uh, so i just decided to leave the company motorola and uh, went full time to finish the business school and then right out of business school uh, uh, luckily i i was able, the day it's amazing uh, I finished my final uh, corporate finance exam uh, uh, in the business school. Next morning, took a 6 a.m. flight to do the final, final interview with Cisco. They had, you know, I had been interviewing like uh, like seven rounds with them and they right. wanted me to come in present in person before mm. they, you know, make a final decision. So six o'clock flight, get there all day interview presenting. Yeah. And they made me an offer the next day. And uh, that's how I moved to, uh, moved to Denver with Cisco. That's, that's fantastic. So, so wh where did you go to, to business school? So I went to uh, the evening school at Harvard. And, well, Harvard, uh, that's like the CU of the East, right? <laughs> yeah, a little right. bit like that. That's right. That's <laughs> I, I heard of that school. Yeah. Uh, and then, so what did you get, what did you uh, start doing for Cisco? So I joined the, in Cisco, uh, there are, you know, three big service, uh, uh, three units per se. And I was in the sales part of Cisco. Uh, they actually have three offices in Colorado, uh, but Englewood is uh, where the Col Rockies sales office is, you know, 300 people you know, remotely work from there per se. Yeah. So I was in the global service provider division of sales. Mm -hmm. And uh, my responsibility was to help, uh, you know, world's largest service providers like AT&T, Verizon, Telstra, BT, all, all the big guys, help them understand the latest things going on uh, in the world of networking, as well as cybersecurity, uh, you know, the latest threats, latest trends, and use that as a way to say, hey, here are the things going on. That means there's an opportunity to develop it as a service, you know, X as a service per se, hosted, managed, SaaS, all of that. And of course, using Cisco products. So that's what, uh, uh, you know, what my, myself for the first few years and then my team overall did for, uh, uh, across the globe. So that was uh, an, obviously a great opportunity for you to figure out, okay, here's the big problems out there and try and start uh, coming up with solutions for those. Or were you, were you the one just coming up with the problems? What, what was your angle on that? Yeah. So the angle was literally day in, this was actually my first flavor in cybersecurity, right? Uh, so think of these are people who already offer you know, cyber manage and hosted cybersecurity to world's biggest enterprises, right? So AT&T, Verizon, they're offering many cybersecurity services uh, to enterprises. So I was like, okay, these guys know what they're talking about in terms of cybersecurity. So if I'm gonna go tell them, hey, this is a brand new threats and brand new things going on cybersecurity, I, I need to know what the heck I'm talking about because these guys live and breathe that stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and Cisco being such an enterprise company, they expect us to bring, you know, us to bring a lot of insights from enterprise side, what kind of threats and things they're seeing and consolidate and correlate all that information and then present it to these service providers. So that's what I would do is bring all that information, do a lot of research and then say, hey, here are the new threats. Here are the new types of services that could be absorbed by enterprises. Here's what others are offering. Here's the kind of price point, why this thing should work. And then actually help them build a business case because 
going to an SP and saying, here's a great service. They're like, oh, okay, I need to hire somebody to build a business case. Then I have to take it to my CFO. And it's like, I was like, nope, we built that you know, tentative business case for you. Uh, mm. We'll work with you to customize it for your CFO, your use case, your assumptions, your market, uh, and literally push it through the CFO uh, you know, management chain uh, yeah. with the business case done and then hand it off to the technical teams to actually implement the solution. It sounds like it was a super interesting role. It, it looks like you, you did that job there for quite a while. It, did, you, did you move around at all or was it kind of doing that same, that same thing the whole time at Cisco? So I was at Cisco literally almost to the days, 10 years. Yeah. And I started doing this work uh, locally within the, actually in the Rockies region, Quest was my customer. I don't know if you remember uh, Embark, you know, all these local, uh, you know, ILEX per se below AT&T, Verizon, they were all my customers when I started. And little by little, the responsibilities started to become bigger. So I start, took over the all US not took over, but started to touch bigger AT&Ts yeah. and Verizons. And then over time, uh, got it into a director role uh, where I actually led the whole team that did that kind of uh, effort across the globe. So I you know, went all over the world from Australia to you know, Deutsche Telekom, mm. you know, Europe, Germany, and so forth. So, so it's similar kind of role, just bigger responsibility than managing a team over time. Yeah, that's great. So you, like you said, you were there almost to the day, 10 years. Um, what made you leave? So I would tell you is uh, it was, uh, you know, the things, you know, I mentioned I had to keep up with cybersecurity, right? This is an example of uh, the problem I saw. Uh, and I'll tell you, Rob, if you are not living and breathing cybersecurity and you're trying to keep up, and it, I would spend, I, no kidding, eight hours sometimes uh, going from blog to blog and then Google searching, find something in a blog and like, I don't understand it. You know, I, I, they're talking about all these different threats causing a breach, but I don't understand half of these threats. And then Google searching each threat individually and then wondering, is this threat causing breaches other, way, other places? I would, be more, I would be more confused after eight hours than I was uh, you know, informed. And that's when I saw the problem was that, hey man, there must be, better ways, better tools, and nothing in the market was there. I looked around is like, hey, all things related to keeping up with these threats and this information are designed for bits and bytes level that mm -hmm. cost $50,000. And I don't need to know the bits and bytes uh, level. I just need to keep up with cyber threats. And you know, I want to pay hundred bucks a month versus 50,000, you know? Yeah. So I, that was a problem. So that is where I basically, you know, that same problem I thought would apply everywhere else also, cybersecurity and others. Uh, so the mission became, uh, I want to get the right information to the right people at the right time. So that became the mission. And quite honestly, I said, okay, um, you know, I saw this problem in cyber, but this applies in medical, applies in many other industries. And I started to dig and research saying, hey, how could we get that right information to the right people in the healthcare? Because it could save lives. And it was not my forte healthcare. So I decided that perhaps I would go back to the original problem I had saw in cyber because that is my background. I have contacts there, I have relationships there and, and brought back. But that mission still remains the same, right information to the right people at the right time. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I think the, the best 
uh, description I've heard of people who, you know, who need to start a company is, is if there's a problem that you want solved and no one else seems to be willing to solve it, right? It's not, it's not because there's a, a gap there. It's just, this is a problem that you wanted to see solved. And I think it's, it's fantastic that you're, you're helping be the solution to that problem. Uh, I, you know, but it is interesting to me, you know, just as you talk through your background, there's nothing in there to make me think, hey, you know, this guy has a, has a desire to go be an entrepreneur, start his own business. You know, you, uh, what, what kind of pushed you over that or had you always wanted this to, to be an entrepreneur? Like what was the impetus for that? Uh, I would tell you, um, uh, first of all, I will say is, uh, uh, you know, I've been doing this for, you know, since 2007, you know, took, you know, one year to almost research and so forth. And then Truno for last two years or so. First thing I would say is anybody who is listening to this discussion and they're thinking, hey, I love to be an entrepreneur because I want to, that's the coolest thing to do, be your own boss and do a startup and so forth. I, I tell you, unless there is a passion and a mission behind what you're trying to do, it is a very, very hard thing to do, right? To, to start something from scratch and so forth. So uh, don't do it because it looks sexy and cool and you want to make money and uh, fame. You want to be the next Elon Musk, right? Everyone wants to be Elon Musk now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's cool to, you know, say you want to be Elon Musk, but when it when days are tough, that doesn't carry over. Yeah. What lets you keep going is when you actually truly, you know, in your genes, in your DNA level, you are a mission. You have a mission to accomplish. You know, that is what uh, you know it take keeps you going. So that was the thing at Cisco. I, I tell you, when I just told my team that he. And I, I simply said, I want to go, I am on a mission to get the right information to the right people at the right time. And they're like, you must, you know, what happened? You're going crazy? <laughs> You're a sales director at Cisco. You have SVP level, you know, connections. You see, talk to CXOs every day. Uh, I'm, I know what you get paid. Uh, you have such an awesome career. And you're saying, you know, go, you know, get the right information to the right people in the world. You're crazy. <laughs> so I said, well, it probably I am, uh, but uh, that's what I want to do. And I tell you, there's one thing that uh, helped me push over the edge because it was a very, very hard decision to make, yeah. right? To leave, I, I, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. It was a cushy job uh, yeah. because I knew it inside out. I was doing it for 10 years, just a great title, great pay, amazing company. That's probably the amazing people. So what pushed me over the edge is actually a book I read called uh, Alchemist is actually by Paulo Coelho from Brazil. Mm. And in there, there's a quote in the book that says, hey, if you truly believe in something, right, the world will conspire to help you, mm. right? That, it, you know, it seems cliche, but I'm telling you, Rob, that, that quote I read is the reason I left that cushy job and I've been struggling since then, you know, to make progress. But I struggle outside, but inside I couldn't be happier, right? All the struggles are outside, you know, with figuring thousand things out as a startup founder. But inside, I'm on a mission and I couldn't be more happier. So I'm, not, I'm super curious to hear more about this. So let's talk more about, uh, you know, what that process looked like. You know, you, you, you made the decision to move on from Cisco. What, what's next? How do you go from there? So we basically trying to figure out, you know, when you when you are working on a problem statement, right? In this case, we'll pick cybersecurity, that problem statement of, hey, so hard to keep up with cyber threats as an example, right? That 
is, yes, I personally had a hard time figuring that out when I was trying to keep up myself. But, you know, the first thing you want to do is, you know, triangulate that problem or that topic with so many folks in so many different diverse roles within that same industry, right? Mm. Because you don't want to build something uh, that, you know, you think you, you, you know, because you think you need it, you know, everybody else uh, needs it. Right. So I would say since then, over the last two years, we probably have talked to more than 500 folks uh, and every, you know, every rank, almost every title in cybersecurity probably we have touched and, and learned everything from their conversation. Like what, 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 do that, what does threat mean to them? Like what is important to them? What do they want to see? What is their problem? How do they get this? So I would say that was the first biggest angle was just talk to as many people in a listening mode and trying to correlate that problem saying, is it real? And if it is real, you know, what is the deep dive problem? What are the use cases, you know, we want to solve? How do we want to solve it? How, sh how is it different than what's available to them today? And how we want to monetize it? So all those different things, you know, it, it, we went through. And that was part of the process to, frankly, to reach out to you, right? Uh, uh, just, just reaching out to leaders saying, hey, this is where something, and we're very humble to listen to, uh, you know, any guidance you can offer. And the beautiful thing, Rob, is I'm, I, I don't know, I think you know this and many people in Colorado probably know this, uh, but I, I did not realize this until I started reaching out. We are so blessed to have such an amazing ecosystem of just, not just, I call it, uh, I call it big people, brilliantly intelligent and genuinely good. Right? Mm. People are just brilliant in what they know about the topic but they are genuinely good to reach, you know, to give time to you, to give guidance to you, to just go out of the way to help. So uh, did you end up having to, to, to build a team at the beginning of this? I, I, know we, I, I know you said we a few times. I don't think you've been on your own. Maybe talk to me about how you, how you looked at, you know, when's the right time to bring in, did you have a co-founder or did you, did you kind of just start uh, outsourcing to help get, to get this initial assistance? Like how, how'd that work for you? Yeah, I would say that is uh, uh, the most important thing as a founder is to find the right people, right? Because uh, it's, it's all about finding the right team. And I would say from the very beginning, I, was, I started alone, right? As you know, sometimes you have a co-founder, but in my case, I was the man on a mission uh, trying to figure out what to do and how to do it. And uh, I, I honestly speaking, I went to, you know, RVC with Rocky Venture Club with Peter Adams and Dave Harris, just awesome people. And I would ask them even blank, stupid questions like, man, I'm looking for a co-founder. Where can I, how can I, you know, what should I do? I, I am struggling to find the right co-founder. Uh, you know, what should I do? And, you know, they would say, hey, go to all kinds of meetups and all forth. And I would literally, Rob, go from one meetup to another and as I'm talking to people in my head, I'm scanning potential co-founder material, potential co-founder material, heck no, heck no, heck no. <laughs> Having that in my head, because I'm looking for, hey, I need a co-founder, but it's like, it's like marriage. You don't marry somebody because you need to marry. You marry somebody when, you know, when things are right. Mm -hmm. So I went through that, you know, going to all kinds of meetups and just looking for potential co-founder thing. I tell you, it, it was hard, very, very hard. Uh, and I just kept moving forward. 
so I started to actually hire consultants and others to help build the platform. And uh, one thing led to another. And I am so blessed to tell you, uh, we have a team of uh, seven people now for Truno. And we have an amazingly diverse team. Um, I, so I ended up having uh, choosing, you know, a couple of people we had found as uh, originally consultants and uh, as co-founders. So our CTO is in Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt. Our head of AI is in Finland, Helsinki, Finland. Our head of UI is in uh, Ukraine. Uh, head of my co-founder Noah is based in Denver. Uh, and, uh, and then a couple of other team members based in Denver, a security analyst, as well as an AI intern. Uh, so it's a long drawn out process, uh, but it's, it's, uh, I tell you, it's no easy way to find right people. But once yeah. you find them, everything starts to click. And that luckily that I feel so blessed to have the team I have now. So, you know, you talked that the vision is to get the right information to the right people, which is, I mean, it's a great vision, but it's not a very specific vision, right? So maybe you could, you could explain to me, you know, how, how are you looking at doing that? Well, let's, so that's the vision, you know, at a hundred thousand foot level, right? So right. let's dig deeper specifically in cybersecurity, right? And specifically in threat intelligence. So if you look at, uh, you know, the world of cybersecurity and threat intelligence, right? First of all, cybersecurity, you know, lots of products, you know, $250 billion market. But if you boil it down to uh, the nuts and bolts, it's all about understanding, prioritizing, and mitigating the latest threats, right? In your environment, in your technology, in, in whatever your, you know, your environment and assets are. So it's about, it's all about threat risk management. That it what it's not about bigger boxes, fancier software. It's all about threat risk management, right? So that being said, knowing how important threat risk management is, you look at saying, okay, what are the tools available to this community to solve that problem? If threat risk management is so important, what are the tools? You look at what's available today are two extremes, Rob. One side is, hey, you are a SOC analyst or you are an incident responder or you're a threat analyst. You have these really fancy IOC feeds and tools that truly are bits and bytes level. You can do sandboxing of malware. You can do all kinds of fancy things. And these things are just amazing. Again, provided by the gorillas in the market like Cisco's, FireEyes, Symantec's, uh, Recorded Future, and so forth. So these tools are you know, designed for a very niche audience, right? As a CISO, you know, even if it's accessible to you, or as an IT director, even if it's accessible to you, you're not, you don't want to be looking at bits and bytes all day long, and it's a full-time job to use these tools. So it's made for practitioners and again, cost you know, 50 to 300,000, depending upon who you choose as starting point in some cases, right? So very heavy, very deep level. On the other extreme, if you're not that practitioner whose whole day job is to do that bits and bytes threat analysis, what's available today is completely open source you know, let's say raw news, you know, everybody has their favorite blog post to go to dark reading versus CISO versus, you know, bleeping computer and so forth. So most of these people 
are going to these blog posts or maybe even aggregate them in one place from Feedly or RSS feed. But it's a it's going from one article to another and so forth if you have time, right? If you don't have time today or one week, you don't go anywhere. Uh, so making that time, finding the right article and then spending the time to read it and more importantly, to understand it. Mm. And I'll tell you, there's a big difference between keeping up with cyber news versus keeping up with cyber threats, right? Keeping up with hearing headlines about a breach or a, a threat is not keeping up with cyber threats. That's just keeping up with cyber news. Yeah. What we are building is to marry the two, saying, hey, uh, we want to get our mission you know, at 1,000 feet level instead of the 100,000 feet level. Our mission is to help cybersecurity community understand the root cause behind the latest cyber attacks in the most simple, efficient, real-time, actionable, and affordable way. That is what we're after. And why is keeping up with the root cause behind the labor, latest cyber threat so important? Because these, are, these hackers are human beings as well. If a threat technique, a way, a, a, a actual threat or a, a breach got, you know, how they infiltrated your network and got exfiltrated your data and all of that, the way an actual breach happened, if those techniques are working, these hackers will use it again and again and again, especially in the same industry and the same technology or the same assets. So that's why it's so important to understand how are they actually doing it? So because you want to take proactive action to prevent, to make your security posture better. And that is the mission we are on is to again, enable cybersecurity community to keep up with these, you know, root causes behind the latest cyber threats in the most efficient and affordable way. So how, what does that look like? Describe the, what's the most efficient and affordable way to keep up with those, those threats? So the way we are doing it today is we literally are, you know, our platform ingests all kinds of news and so forth. And what we are saying is, hey, let's take out the junk. If you, you know, if you go to, if you, we ingest thousands of articles, right? We say, hey, 90%, 85 to 90% of it is syndicated content, get that out, okay? Now we have 5% to 10% and saying, hey, let's find out what articles, blogs, alerts, reports actually are talking about a factual breach or a campaign or an attack and say, okay, this article is actually talking about a breach and a campaign. They say, okay, out of that 10% down to 5%. Now we say, hey, let's point articles which actually not only say this is a breach or an attack, but actually goes into the details of how that breach happened. So when you go to actually bleeping computer or CISO or dark reading, they are giving you a summarized, you know, a news bit version of an actual report or an article somebody else wrote, which right. actually had all the meat in it. So we want to go to that meat original source because that's where all the 15 techniques that used uh, that were used behind the solar winds, you know, attack, right? You know, recently right. with the fire eye and so forth. So that is what we're doing. So we filter it down, 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 all the way to the right article. And then we say, hey, let's extract all the most important things out of that uh, document and present it in a very easy visual. That means, hey, what were the techniques used? What was the malware used? Who was the actor involved? What industries, what technologies? And present it from a 45 minute read to reading that full article to a 30 second visual 
and maybe even a two minute, a little bit deeper dive summary of what actually happened. So that is the essence of you know, getting the root cause behind the latest threats in the most efficient way. And, and I, I'm gonna go out and you can pull me back. The, the way I think of, of the way you'd use it is you, you basically intend that people can set up filters in, in your platform to say, hey, you know, I wanna know about the threats against my industry. You know, I'm in you know, the, the te technology industry um, and I wanna know about things that are targeting the platforms I use. So you know, I use AWS and, and I'm, I'm curious, I wanna know about any attacks that are targeting that platform. Um, and maybe I also use you know, these versions of Linux. And you have the ability to, if I, if I understand this correctly, the ability to, uh, to set alerts and filters so that I can see when one of the, one of the there's a new, a new threat that uh, targets one of the things that are relevant to me. Is that about right? That's exactly right. There are two ways uh, we see, we talk to many folks uh, on this topic of how they plan to use it, how could they use it. The first one is, uh, no matter how good our dashboard is and our platform visuals are, uh, people say, hey, uh, I don't need another dashboard, right? <laughs> I have enough, uh, everybody wants to be our single screen, right? Uh, single pane of glass. Uh, glass. Uh, we don't need another one of those vendors. So what we have heard is, hey, uh, I want to just set the right alerts. Hey, I use Office 365. In your case, you said, you know, as an example, AWS, or I use GitHub or GitLab or you know, or whatever those technology assets that are important to you, uh, you set those alerts saying, hey, anything that matches this capable, this, and then you can, you know, actually have Boolean logic saying, if it's a, uh, if it's a Microsoft Office 365 related threat or breach or something, and it's in finance, then send me an alert. So you can add multiple layers of it. And, it, and we're working closely to uh, send that information as a potentially as a webhook, uh, uh, you know, uh, to, uh, easily exportable into a SIM or other engines. So that is one way uh, many folks are looking at using it is importing the right tr triggers into their own context of a SIM and then it gets forwarded to who are the right people are. Right. Uh, the second way we've seen is active. So people who are actually in a, uh, active uh, threat analyst role. So their whole job is to actually keep up with cyber threats. These usually are larger companies. Uh, so they are trying to follow a particular, you know, malware type or an actor and so forth. Uh, so they will always have alerts as well, but they're also doing proactive digging and trying to keep up. Uh, so those are others. And then the third one I would say is uh, simply, uh, you know, we met with an IT director. He's, I have a team of five SOC analysts. Nobody else has the time to keep up with external threats. So I am it. Uh, so I just want to go to your news board and just scan things and then share it with my team at a high level. So, because nobody else, we cannot hire a dedicated threat analyst. So I am kind of playing that role in an easy way. You just mm -hmm. make it so much easier for me to do it. Otherwise I would just not be able to do it. So that's the kind of different use cases we have heard so far. And, and where are you right now? I know, you know, you've, you guys have released some elements of this, but in terms of, you know, as a, as a beta, as a GA, where, where is it, the process right now? Uh, so we are in beta, public beta. Uh, uh, we, have, we were in private beta per se for a few weeks before, but uh, just actually 22nd of December is when we opened our beta to public. Uh, so a lot of these things I'm talking about, the curated dashboard, the raw newsfeed, all of it is actually open and available. Uh, many of it 
you know, you don't even need a login to enter. Uh, and when you want to dig a little bit deeper, we'll, you know, we'll ask you to create a login. So just, we just know who's coming, uh, but it's open and free. And at this stage, we will be turning the curated part of the dashboard to a subscription, uh, probably at the end of uh, February timeframe. Uh, but until then, it's all open and free and love to get uh, uh, users to try it and give us feedback. Yeah, I think that, you know, you just hit on it, but let's dive in there a little bit more. What's the, what's the plan for how you're going to monetize? I imagine at this point, you're just burning through money, right? Because <laughs> I don't think you have, you're not making revenue yet. So how is that going to change? So what we will do is, uh, so we will, true, we will stay true to our mission on uh, keeping it uh, accessible in terms of not just user interface, but also affordability. Uh, so we have a freemium model. All the raw stuff we are bringing in, all the news sources, hundreds of news sources, even filtered via breaches and vulnerabilities filtered by all of that, all of that will stay open as freemium. So all the raw news and all of that, you can create your own feeds just like Feedly. Uh, so that remains free and will remain free forever. Uh, then the curated part of the dashboard where we really deep dive curate uh, stuff for by threats and breaches and all of that will go into a subscription model for an individual. And they will also have different tiers, right? Some people just want to understand techniques and others want to actually get to IOCs. And I, you know, I, I'd mentioned uh, we'll have IOCs. So we are working on building the IOCs uh, in addition to TTP. So we'll have different couple of flavors for individuals. And then we'll also have an enterprise version uh, of the subscription where you are able to do uh, a little bit more in terms of policy, more security, uh, and, so, and just bigger and better with all of the features. And what, what's your timing you think on when you're, you're gonna be ready to, to kind of bring on customers um, for your curated portion? Uh, so curated portion, again, is available as a beta right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, in at the end of February is our timeline when we will turn on uh, the subscription for individuals, uh, as well as some trials with enterprises. So those folks who are thinking about it, this is a good time to get in before it's, uh, before it's behind a paywall and, and, and it might easy, easy time to right now to, to get some familiarity with it. You know, I would say, Rob, you try it, but also we truly... Uh, you know, if you go to our landing page, you will see big bold letters by the cyber community for the cyber community. Uh, we are doing every, you know, once you see the price points, uh, you know, it's, you could not buy anything close to the level we're providing curation, less than $50,000 or even $100,000. Uh, yeah. Ours will be, you know, one hundredth of that price points, right? So for everything we're doing is to get this critical information to the community you know, at, at, in the most widespread way. That being said, uh, we are very humble. We, we, we've talked to 500 folks, but we haven't talked to 5,000, 5, right? So we have, uh, you know, right in the website, we have capability to give us feedback, we're, you know, our contact. We really, really want to make it uh, useful and valuable to the community. So we love, you know, even if you can spend five minutes on it and just give us any feedback, what features, what things we can tweak to make it useful for the community. Uh, we are all ears and trust us, your feedback, we, you will see it get implemented within days if it makes sense, you know, from the community. Yeah, and I'll just echo that, you know, I, I, the listeners may not be aware, but, you know, you and I have talked about this several times and I've given some feedback and you've incorporated maybe everything or, or most about just about everything. And uh, I, I definitely appreciate that. 
Yeah, I, I tell you, uh, to be honest with you, uh, some of the feedback you gave us, uh, we, we changed quite a bit of our original architecture to implement it, but it was, it was harsh feedback, to be honest, because we were like, oh, this, you know, this is what we think and this is what we want. And some of that feedback, it came across harsh at this, you know, but sometimes, you know, people who really care want to give you the right feedback, right? And that's why everything, you know, you told us, you're like, oh man, that was harsh, but, you know, but we were listening and we actually went back two months to change our whole platform to implement some of the things uh, you asked us, but we implemented them by God, we know. Uh, so I really appreciate you, you know, going out of the way to give us the right guidance because people who care will give you the right guidance. People who don't care will say it looks good without, you know, really meaning it. Well, I'm sorry if I was, if I was harsh when I did it. So, uh, no, I meant harsh because it, it was, you were not harsh, but it was the right feedback, but it, it you know, it, 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 it was different than what we had implemented. So harsh in the way that we had to do a lot of work to get it right, uh, but not harsh in delivery. I, 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 like I said, I appreciate you guys have, uh, they definitely come a long way in the last year or so. Uh, so, you know, the last little bit of time we have here, what, you know, what kind of things can the co community do for you? Clearly, you know, hopefully everyone's heard loud and clear, get out to the Trino website, uh, take, take a spin with the technology, give feedback, uh, let, let them know how to get better. Uh, anything else that, that the community can do to help you, you know, you become the next Colorado security success story? I, I think at this stage, uh, we are just hungry for understanding use cases. Mm -hmm. We're hungry, hungry to, uh, you know, bend backwards to, you know, help, uh, uh, you know, do trials. If your enterprise, uh, I know we're working with you, Rob, uh, also really appreciate you working with us, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, give us your use cases and, and trust us. We will go out of the way to understand your use case and, uh, and, and try to implement and see if it, uh, it can be absorbed into our platform and, and, and it helps uh, everybody else in the community. So that's the biggest thing from our side is uh, just try us uh, and give us feedback. We, like we said, we truly mean it when we say by the cyber community for the cyber community. And uh, we will just uh, love to hear from you and uh, find the right use cases to make a difference. What if, what if somebody's listening in there super passionate, fired up and passionate about your mission and want to, want to actually, you know, get employment with Truno. Are you guys hiring any, any, any types of people you're looking to talk to? Uh, we're always looking for the right people. So, you know, you can, you can reach out to me personally at uh, Manish at Truno.com, uh, of course, from the website as well, but uh, personally feel free to reach out to me. Uh, we are always looking for the right people. And I, and I'll, and I've coined this frame, uh, to be part of Truno, you have to be a big person, B-I-G-G, -G, brilliantly intelligent and genuinely good, because just brilliantly intelligent is not good enough. You yeah. have to care for the community, have to, good, ha have to be you know, truly for the mission of uh, what we're working for, because we don't see what we do as a job, we see it as a mission. So those are the kind of people we're looking for, is people on a mission to get this information in the cyber community in the right way. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I mean, I think this is awesome. I'm, I am awesome. It's great to hear about a, a new company that's that's really you know trying to to solve a problem that I, I don't think I've seen solved. Like you said, it not solved at the level you're you're looking to solve it at least. Uh, and, and here in Colorado, that's that's fantastic. Any anything else I didn't ask you that we should be talking about here today? 
No, I think uh, the, the, the key things you, you mentioned, all the topics you brought up, uh, we would just uh, love to hear from you. And uh, I love your podcast. Uh, so just keep going. Great, great, awesome. uh, great to have this community going within Colorado, you know, in such a great way. Awesome. Well, Manish, thank you for your time. Thanks for what you're doing there. We'll look forward to hopefully catching up with you in a year or so and, and hearing about uh, how, that, how the launch has gone. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you, everybody, for listening. All right. This has been Colorado Equal Security. We'll talk to you guys again next week. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado Equal Security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.